Our scripture reading this afternoon is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The text for the sermon are the first three verses. I will read them again. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he, that is God, At any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he, God, bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers of flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they, that is angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So far we read God's holy word. The text for the sermon, the first three verses of the chapter, God who at sundry times and in divers, that is, different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness, and I'm going to suggest that the better translation there is, who being the radiance of his glory and the express image of his person, and I'm going to change person to essence, the express image of his essence, and upholding all things by the word of his power, talking about the sun here all through this, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the text for the sermon. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews is named the way it is because it is a book written to Jews to converted Jews. 
Jews who had been given faith by the Holy Spirit and therefore who believed in Jesus and confessed his name. But after they confessed the name of Jesus, they began to have all sorts of persecution from fellow Jews. And they became outcasts from their own society. Their families rejected them, their friends forsook them. They began to have doubts about becoming Christians and leaving the Jewish religion. And you can imagine that all the friends and family keep hammering away at them and saying, but you've left the true religion of Jehovah. And you're following someone named Jesus, but how do you know he really is the Messiah? Some of them are having doubts and thinking, maybe maybe we should go back and keep bringing sacrifices to the temple and, and, and worship God as he told us in the Old Testament. So the epistle then is written to these Jewish Christians to encourage them and to instruct them in true doctrine, the truth about Jesus as the Messiah promised by God. That's that's the whole focus of the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the full and complete Savior and there is no one else. It exalts Christ. And sets forth Christ then as the mediator of the covenant. A better covenant, the New Testament or covenant of God, is better than the Old Testament. It, the, the Old Testament comes into its own in the New Testament. That's the covenant of God. And Jesus is the mediator of that. And the book of Hebrews will show he's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron. This is Jesus, the one whom you must continue to confess. Don't turn away from him. With that in mind, notice how the epistle begins. There isn't even an introduction. There isn't uh, the way Paul writes his epistles. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to nothing of the kind. goes right to the message. It starts in the Old Testament, of course, because the Jews were familiar with the Old Testament. So it goes immediately to that and speaks of the fact that God in the Old Testament spoke to the fathers in many different ways, using prophets to the time, but other ways too. God spoke. But now in the New Testament, in the current days, God speaks to us only through one, and that's the Son. All of God's messages, all of God's revelation will come through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, it will exalt this, Jesus, the Son. It will exalt Him and show what He's the heir of all things, by whom God made the worlds. He's the one that purged our sins. So all of this is here to immediately to lift up Jesus as the only true Savior. So let's examine these verses under the theme, the better exalted revealer of God. That word revealer I struggle with, I admit. When I first made the sermon, I had the better exalted spokesman of God, but that doesn't seem to capture it either. Neither does revealer. So take it, take the two together. It's someone who's revealing God, but is also speaking. God is speaking through him the better exalted revealer or spokesman of God. Notice, first of all, his identity. Then secondly, his speaking. And finally, his salvation, what he accomplishes. Who is this exalted one? Through whom God speaks. He is the Son. He is the Son of God. He is, then, the second person of the Trinity. God is one. There are not more than one God. There's only one God. God made that so clear to the Israelites 
You think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. He's only one. Not many gods, only one. And yet, in a certain sense, we can speak of God as three. Not three gods, one God, but three. Because within this one God are three persons, each of whom says, I. I as Father, I as Son, I as Holy Spirit. Each one has his own personal characteristics, his own viewpoint. They're one essence, one in essence. They all share the attributes equally. One is not greater than another. They are equal. They are the same God. Consider the Son within the Trinity. The distinguishing mark, what what separates him, distinguishes him from Father and Spirit, is his name, Son. He is the begotten one. That's what a son is, someone who is begotten. He is eternally begotten. There was never a time when the Son was not. He is of the same essence of the Father. But as he is begotten of the Father within the Trinity now, the Son is is begotten in such a way that he reflects the glories of the Father. As a little boy can look like his dad, so within the Trinity, the Son resembles the Father, reflects the perfections of the Father. And the Father, obviously, is is a loving Father toward his Son, begets him in love, continues to love him. But now understand... That when the text speaks of the Son, it is not simply talking about the Son in in the essence of God as the second person of the Trinity. It is that. But it's the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who took on himself human flesh. It is Jesus that the text is talking about here. Not merely the second person, but it's the second person who came in human flesh. And walked on this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and died. That's evident from a couple of things. First of all, throughout the rest of the chapter, you notice there are many, many psalms that are quoted that are messianic. They're they're a description of the Messiah, and they're applied to the Son. And the fact that later on it says when he had by his own self purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of God, you know right away, that's Jesus. He died for our sins. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is the Son that is described here. Now, it is noteworthy that in the original, in the Greek, the the Holy Spirit emphasized the character of, of this one by calling him son. In in the King James it has has spoken unto us in verse two by his son. But if you remember, the word his is in italics. So that's added. Added by the translators. And literally what you have hath in these last days spoken unto us by son. Not the son, not a son, just spoken unto us by son. And that emphasizes his position. He is son. Son of God. Very truly God. But he is son. This son, says the text, God hath appointed heir of all things. Now there again, that shows you that it has to be Jesus not the second person of the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity is not appointed to something. And the second person of the Trinity doesn't need to be appointed to be heir of all things. He owns everything. God has everything. that He made everything. He owns everything. So when the text says that God has appointed His Son to be heir, He's talking about Jesus. God eternally appointed this Jesus 
to be the heir of all things. Now, children, you know what an inherit you know what it is to be an heir? To be an heir means that you are inheriting, you're receiving something from someone else, usually from parents. That parents write down a will, and they say in that will what their children will receive. This will be your inheritance. This is what you will receive from me, usually when parents die. And so they might say to about the children, you'll receive the land, you'll receive the house, you'll receive this piece of furniture, you will receive this money, you will inherit these things. God said about Jesus, you will inherit all things. That, that's astounding. You, Jesus, will inherit all things. You will inherit heaven. You will inherit the earth. You will inherit everything in them. You will inherit the angels. You will inherit the devils. You will inherit every single man, woman, and child. You will inherit the animals in the field. You will inherit the mountains. You will inherit the, moon, the sun, moon, and stars. You will inherit everything. Everything. The only thing he doesn't inherit is God. God is, of course, creator of all. But everything that God made, Jesus will be the one who inherits everything. Now, from eternity, God determined that because in Psalm 2, we read exactly that. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, God says, I will declare the decree, the Lord, Jehovah God, hath said unto me, Jesus, thou art my son, This day have I begotten thee. And then notice what he goes on to say in verse 8, Psalm 2, verse 8. Ask of me, God says to his son, ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Everything, the whole creation, God says, it's yours. It's yours. Now, There are three things in particular that characterize the Son as the heir of all things. Three things in particular. That he is the creator of all things, that he upholds all things, and that he would redeem all things. Creator, upholder, and redeemer of all these things that he will possess. Because the only way that he could redeem, the only way he could become the inheritor of all of them was in the way of suffering and dying and redeeming. That's the way he would become the one who would inherit all things. So first of all, he's creator. He's the creator. That's verse 2. By whom he, God, made the worlds. God made the worlds through Jesus. Through Jesus. God created everything. Now the word worlds is an interesting word, and it's often used, often translated this way in the Bible. But the word worlds is not the normal word for world, it's the ages. By whom also God created the ages. And what that means is that when it speaks of Jesus being the creator, it's not merely the material things, the material things that consisted of that first week that God said, let there be, and it was, but that the, all of the ages, all of time, everything that would ever be a part of this world is included in what Jesus made. He made the ages, every creature that would ever exist. And it includes even that he would be the one that would bring about all the events of time. 
by whom God made the ages, which includes this physical creation. All of this is God's perfect plan in Jesus Christ. This is absolutely amazing to think about. We know how the creation is the work of God. We know that. How God out of nothing called into existence the material in that first day when God said, let there be. And there was this mass of material. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And God said, let there be a firmament. And and there was. Let there be dry land coming out of the waters. And there was. God did all of that through Jesus. Through Jesus, he made all things. He made each creature exactly according to what he determined that creature to be, so that it would fill the, fulfill the will of God in that part of the creation. God did all of this by his word. By his word. Now, that word is Jesus. You remember John 1 and how that starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, by Jesus, by the Word. And that Word, now, the word Word has so much packed into it. In the first place, that Jesus is the Word means He's the power of God. He's the power of God. So that when God spoke, it was. That's what we sang just a moment ago. Psalm 33. He spake, and it was. That's Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God's word is powerful. No one else is able to do this simply to speak, and there it is. You and I can do that. No one can do that. Only God speaks the word, and there it is. Powerful, creating word. That's Jesus. Secondly, the word, the idea of a word is that it reveals things. I'm using words to speak to you. Words convey knowledge. Words convey understanding. They convey ideas and, and desires. That they, they express things to you. Words do that. And now when you think of the fact that Jesus is the Word, and He called into existence all things, the point is not merely that it's a powerful Word, though that's true, but that it is a revealing Word, so that the whole creation, even though it doesn't speak out a Word, as we sang, yet that creation continues to speak to us. You see God in the tree. You see God in the glory of the sun. You see God in the whole creation because the Word is there revealing God. He created all things by the Word. Powerful Word. Revealing Word. One more thing. This Jesus is also the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And all things, says the Bible, were made by wisdom. By wisdom. So that everything fits together perfectly. Everything has a plan. Everything has a purpose in life. Why? Because they were formed by Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And everything that is formed now is according to the wisdom of God, perfectly fitting together as God eternally determined it. God made the ages by His Son, by Jesus, who is the powerful Word, who is the revealing Word, who is the wisdom of God that shapes everything perfectly. God made all things by His Son. The one whom He said, you will be heir of all things, He made all things by that Son. Secondly, He continues to uphold all things. Uphold all things. That's verse 3. Upholding all things by the word of His power. 
Because you see, Jesus does not merely speak as a... He is not merely the Word of God that calls it into existence. But He continues to speak the Word. And because He speaks the Word, the Son still exists. Because He speaks the Word, you exist. If He didn't speak the Word, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. He is continually speaking the Word that causes me, that causes you to exist. He's upholding all things by the Word of His power. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. He upholds the creation. He governs the creation. He directs the creation. It's what we call providence. It's the, the, the decree and the action of God. Providence. Jesus is the one who is doing that. Upholding all things. And then directing all things in perfect wisdom. Exactly as God determined from all eternity. Creation and preservation are related, of course. Because when God calls into existence, whatever God called into existence is still a creature. It's not an independent little being here that can just go on its own. We all depend on our Creator. The trees depend on Creator. The birds, no matter what it is, it's because God upholds us that we continue to exist. We are just creatures. The one who was upholding all things by the word of his power is the one who someday will inherit it all. Jesus, the Son. Upholding all things by the word of his power. So he called it into existence. He upholds all things and then he redeems it. And that comes out in, in verse 3. When he had by himself purged our sins. That obviously calls attention to his saving work. Jesus came into the world in our flesh. He came into this world to die for sin. And again, you see the wisdom of God. Here we are, we are filthy, we are polluted, we are corrupt. The whole creation has been corrupted by man's sin because man was the head, and, and now everything is polluted and corrupted by sin. We are born dead in sin. We can't only sin. We, we are guilty before the Holy God and we can't possibly live with Him. But God determined nonetheless to bring a people unto Himself. That they would live with God. This is His plan. That they would be in fact united to Him. Not essentially, that we become God, but united by the bond of faith, united to God through Jesus Christ, that we'd be able to live with Him and talk with Him. That's God's plan. So God eternally chose a people in Jesus Christ and determined that they would be redeemed by Jesus. In the perfect plan of God, He made Jesus to be the head of this elect people so that the sins of the people could be imputed to Jesus. And Jesus could die for our sins, even though they weren't His. But because we are in Him, connected, as the head is connected to the body, our sins could be imputed to Him, and therefore He would die for our sins. And then His perfect obedience and righteousness could become ours, so that we are forgiven. Our sins are paid for by Jesus Christ. An actual payment was made. That satisfied the justice of God. He bore the wrath of God. And he conquered death. But the word purged is literally cleansed. Cleansed. It's the, kind of, it's the word that is used, for example, when the leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean, cleansed, pure, purged, purified is the idea. It's also used in John, 1 John rather. In 1 John chapter 1, 
verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then notice, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us, same word, cleanseth us from all sin. And then later, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus did. That's what he accomplished on the cross. He paid for our sins. But now the text is speaking of the sanctifying work of Jesus, the cleansing of our sins. The removal. We are cleansed from sin. We aren't finished with that, of course. Jesus will cleanse us entirely when we die. But in principle, we have the sanctifying work of the Spirit. But Jesus didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for his elect. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus did not merely die for people. He died for his creation. And that's why Romans chapter 8 says that the curse is removed from the creation. He purchased the creation by his work. Now, that doesn't mean every single person because the elect are, are in that that are part of that, but the reprobate are cut out. They, they have no place in the creation of God. But God's people and the whole of the creation are cleansed by Jesus, by his suffering and death. The Son, the heir of all things, is the creator of all. He is the one who has redeemed all things, and he continues to uphold all things that he one day will inherit. That's the, that's what, that's the point here. This is the mediator of the covenant. Don't turn away from him. Don't go back to the Old Testament lambs and goats and, and cows. This is the Savior, the Son who will one day be heir, who will inherit everything. Now, through that Son, God speaks. God speaks through that Son. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, verse 1, Spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God speaking to his people. You understand, do you understand what a miracle that is? God speaking to you in a human language that you can understand. Just just for a moment, think about this. If you were transported out of northwest Iowa and plunked down somewhere in the middle of Africa, how are you going to communicate? How are you going to talk to them? How are you going to explain who you are and where you're from and, and what, what your life is like? And even if you began to pick up some of the words and you tried to explain to them your house and your car and your, t your phone and your microwave, you would soon realize, I don't even have a vocabulary for that. How do I tell them what a microwave is? How do I tell them what a cell phone is? Now God speaks to us about things we've never seen, things that are not part of our world. He talks to us about heaven. He talks to us about himself. We're all creatures, but he's totally different from us in the sense that he's creator. 
And he's going to talk to us about himself and about spiritual blessings. That's a miracle. That God is able to speak to us in a language we can understand and reveal himself and all of the things of heaven that we need to know. That's a miracle. God did this from the beginning. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers. He did it from the beginning. He spoke to men. The at sundry times in diverse manners. Sundry times means in different times. And in diverse manners means in different ways. He spoke. Sometimes he would speak directly as he did with Adam. Sometimes directly as he did with Abraham. He spoke by giving them pictures. The lamb that was sacrificed, the tabernacle later on. Pictures of a king or a prophet. All those things are pictures that God is giving to his people. He spoke through visions. He would give dreams to people that would reveal things about heaven. God, in many different ways, and throughout the Old Testament in different times, was speaking to his people by the prophets. All through the Old Testament, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the way to Malachi, God was speaking to his people through prophets. And he revealed himself. He revealed himself as the eternal God. Nothing like the idols, like those powerless, can't see, can't talk, can't move, can't do anything idols. No, that's not God. I am the Almighty God. I am the God of heaven and earth. I created all things. I am the God who knows all things. And God revealed his power and his glory, and he made sure then that at least... That Old Testament revelation was written down here. So we have this half. We have the, have the Bible, the first half, the Old Testament. It was written down so that people could still read about God's revelation of Himself. But God said to Israel long before the end of the Old Testament, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God said, but I will send another prophet. It was clearly somebody that would be different. I will raise up, this is Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. It would be like as Moses was lifted up from among his brethren. So this, this prophet would come from among the people and will put my words, God said, in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That prophet is his son. It's Jesus. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, by Son, remember, just sonship, emphasizing his position. Jesus came into the world in order that God might speak to his people through Jesus. That's why Jesus came into the world, among other reasons. He took upon himself human flesh. He lived among men. He taught them day by day in his preaching, his miracles. He taught them with authority. He showed them the Father. Showed them the Father. So much so even that he could say to Philip, Philip, you have seen me. You have seen the Father. That's the one I'm revealing. I'm revealing the Father. And that means the triune God because that's his Father. The Father of Jesus is the triune God. I have revealed to you the Father. He did this all the way to the cross. And there he showed 
sin and judgment and repentance. He showed that, yes, God is a judge that requires sin to be paid for, but he's also a God who loves his people, and he saves them from their sin. Jesus did that. The text says, God has spoken unto us by his Son. In these last days, the the New Testament, and the point is, to you and me today, he's still speaking to us through the Son. There's no other way. That's how God continues to speak. In the Old Testament, all different prophets, all different times. But now in the New Testament, only through Jesus. That's the only one. And that is, of course, first of all, through the Bible. This is the Word of God. The revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every single page of the Word of God has the face of Jesus written on it. That's whom we see. That's the one speaking to us. And now that Bible is preached. And as the Bible is preached, Jesus is speaking to us. And this Bible is sung, and as we are singing, Jesus is speaking to us. God, through Jesus, is speaking to us. In the worship, it is God speaking to you and to me through His Son. We go to catechism. Jesus is speaking to us in catechism. That's the revelation of God through Him. There isn't any other way. That's why it's so important to pay attention when we go to catechism because Jesus is speaking. God, through His Son, is teaching us. When we go to the Bible ourselves, when we study it, whether it's personal study or the society, God speaks to us through His Son, always through His Son, Now, Jesus is the perfect spokesman because He's the revelation of God who is God. There will not be in Jesus' revelation to us any mistakes. There will not be that He overemphasizes something or that He leaves something out that we really should have heard. No, He gives a perfect Revelation of God, Jesus does. Perfect revelation. Because He is God. But the text will emphasize even more the the ability of Jesus to tell us about God when it says that He is the brightness. And remember I said that's really the radiance. Being the radiance of His glory and the express image of God's essence. Even though the word person is there, it would be better to translate it essence. The express image of God's essence. The glory of God is all of God's attributes. His holiness, His wisdom, His power, His truth... His love, His mercy, all of those attributes of God are infinite perfections. That's His glory. His infinite perfections. And it's difficult for us to get a hold of that, but 1 Timothy 6.16 gives us an idea. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 says, God dwelling in in the light to which which no man can approach unto whom no man has seen nor can see the glory of god is not merely a bright light but the glory of god gives off a light so brilliant that you cannot even look at it It's too glorious. It's too brilliant. When Moses said to God, please give me a revelation of thy glory, God put him in a little cleft of the rock, and God said, well, you can't look at my glory head on. Nobody can do that. You'll die. 
but I'll go past you and you'll just see the back side of me, so to speak. And then he said, I am the God who is love and mercy and long-suffering and grace. That's, that's the attributes of God. The glory of God are his perfections. Jesus is the radiance of that glory. He's the radiance of that glory. This is a glory that Jesus has that is not merely a reflection of the glory of God. We in heaven will reflect the glory of God. The perfections of God will be worked in us in such a way that in a creaturely way we reflect the glory of God. But in Jesus, it's not a reflection. He has the glory. It radiates from Him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. When Jesus lived on the earth, He covered that glory. But you could see flashes every once in a while as He would perform a miracle and you would see a flash of the glory of God right here on this earth in the words and works of Jesus when he cast out demons when he healed a man born blind when he raised Lazarus from the dead and in Jesus also would be revealed the the wisdom of God and the power of God and the love of God He is the radiance of His glory. Nowhere would it shine greater than on the cross. The power of God in Jesus and the power of God's love and and all the beautiful attributes of God right there shown thee most greatly in His life on earth. Now, of course, he He has glory far beyond that. Now we have to think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when His sun, His face was shining bright as the sun. The disciples fell down on the ground. They couldn't even look at Him. That's the kind of glory He has now. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Not only that, but He's the express image of His essence. It refers to the very being of God, to the the essence is the very being of God. The Son is the express image of the Father, of God. Philippians 2 said that even before he came into the human flesh, as he was there in heaven, and this is really difficult to think about, But when he was in heaven, even before he took on human flesh, he had clearly the form of God. No one in heaven thought, is that an angel over there? No. When they saw him, they knew immediately he has the form of God, not the form of a creature. He has the form of God. The Son is the same essence as the Father, And when they looked at Jesus and beheld his works and heard his words, they said, that's the glory, that's the essence of God himself. That's why Jesus is the perfect one to reveal God. He is the radiance of God. He has the very impress of the of the essence of God upon him. You you look at Jesus and there is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. That means he is powerful to save. There isn't another Savior that anyone should ever look for besides this one. That's the point of Hebrews. Jews that have been converted, don't turn away from him. Look at who he is. There isn't any other Savior. And the fact that he accomplished salvation is evident from the fact that when he had by himself purged our sins, God 
lifted him up, and sat him down at his own right hand. The most glorious position in heaven. Lifted up far above all. Ephesians tells us that above every name that is named, every name in this world and in the next, he is exalted above everything and everyone. Revelation chapter 5 speaks of the angels and the saints in heaven saying this in verse 12, with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He is exalted above all. He has inherited all things. The heavens and the earth belong to Jesus. He's inherited them. From that right hand of majesty, Jesus rules over heaven and earth. He is executing the counsel of God with a view to His coming again in glory. He is able to save His people to the uttermost. No one is able to pluck them out of His hands. He is absolutely powerful. But the point of the text is that from that position in heaven, He continues to speak to us. God speaks to us, not by angels, not by mere men, but by the Son of God. He has given us the full revelation of God. There isn't anything more needed. It's all here in the Word of God. It's all here in Scripture. And He continues to speak to us through this Word, whether we study it or whether we hear it preached, whether we hear it in catechism, He is speaking to us. This is the final revelation from God. The clear implication is, Take heed to this. Don't turn away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't minimize. God speaks to us by His Son. Glorious Son. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy goodness in giving us this perfect revelation of Thyself in Jesus, who is not only the heir of all things, but our Savior. We bow before Him, we acknowledge Thy goodness, and thank Thee for Thy Son. And look forward to the day when we can thank Him face to face for all that He has done and all that He is, and live in the blessedness of His kingdom forever and ever. We thank Thee for Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.